someone who was kind of a big deal, but you didn't find out about it until after. Last summer, I uh, was at a baseball game. A friend of mine invited me to a baseball game, and uh, we had uh, tickets in the third level, but they were kind of you know, closer to the front of the third level, so they were decent tickets, but not great tickets. And we were watching the game. It was a nice, sunny, warm day, and, and my friend says, I've got this friend who uh, might hook us up with some better tickets. And I said, okay, well, great, whatever. And sure enough, his friend calls him and says, hey, come out and and meet me. So we meet his friend on the concourse, and uh, his friend starts talking to us about hot dogs. And he's he's talking about how how they made this change in hot dogs from this old vendor to this new vendor. And and it was kind of interesting. Like, I'm into hot dogs, and I, I... I, I offered my opinion. So, yeah, the new ones, they're, they're not, they don't have as much fat or something about them. And, and so we spend like four or five minutes talking about hot dogs. And finally, he, he escorts us to this seat, like maybe four or five rows back, like from the front of the field. Like these were really, these are the best seats I've ever sat at, at Safeco. And uh, uh, after we sat down, I asked my friend, who, who was that we were talking to? He said, oh, that's the CEO of the Mariners. <laughs> really? (laughs) Why was I talking to the CEO for five minutes about hot dogs? (laughs) Like, I've got other questions I want to ask. How about getting a starting pitcher? (laughs) Knowing who he was changed my thoughts about what I would ask him and how I would interact with him. And, And what I would submit to you this morning, Jesus is the CEO and the president of the universe. And if we understood that, if we grasped that, if we believed that, that would change how we interact with him, what questions we ask him, and how we think of him. And that's essentially the purpose of the Gospel of John. It's to get us to understand who Jesus is. The purpose that John gives, he actually is, he doesn't hide it. He, he writes it explicitly in John chapter 20 and verse 30. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John is crystal clear on why he's written this book to us so that we would understand who Jesus is, that he is the savior, that's Christ, and that by believing in his name we may have everlasting life. That's the point. And so everything that we're going to read through in the gospel of John is related to that purpose. Uh, John is if you will, he's taken Jesus' life and John by the way traditionally is the uh, the, the apostle John. So, so John was, was part of the inner circle of Jesus. So Jesus witnessed, he served to the multitudes, to the crowds. But then within that, he had his 12 disciples or 12 apostles. And then within that 12, there were three that come up over and over again as having an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. And that's Peter, James, and John. And so John is giving us eyewitness testimony of who Jesus is. 
and he's taken Jesus' life and he's boiled it down. He said, I've selected these things, these signs. I can't tell you about all of them, but I'm going to tell you about the ones that I've curated, the ones that I'm presenting to you as evidence that Jesus is the Christ. And so we're going to meet Jesus in story after story after story that demonstrates who he is. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? How did people respond to what Jesus said and did? And then how do we respond in light of all of that? At the end of the day, we can really only do two things. We can disbelieve and reject Jesus, or we can believe and receive Jesus. There really is no middle ground. There's no staying on the fence or just thinking of Jesus as one of many maybe good teachers who said some things that I can glean some, some, some learnings or information that will help my life. Because based on what Jesus represents himself to be, we either receive him in the fullness of who he is or we reject him because he makes some claims that are unbelievable and that demand our attention. There's two points that I want to make today. Two points, two main points. The, main, the first main point is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And the second point is Jesus is man. Those two points, and there's going to be some subpoints beneath it. But we're going to start with Jesus is God because that's where John starts. Now, the gospel of John is, is deeply personal to me. I met Jesus as God when I was 18 years old through this book and through what I'm about to walk you through in terms of what John was conveying about who Jesus is. Verse 1. There's four clues as to why Jesus is God that I'm going to highlight. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. I'm going to pause. Just the, the first phrase, in the beginning. Does that remind you if, you, if you know your Bible, does that remind you of any other verse Genesis Genesis 1 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and there's your first clue your first clue is that like John's not a dummy he understands that if he writes in the beginning his audience which would include both Jews who understood the history of what God has done and Greeks who understood some of that they would have understood that that John is immediately placing Jesus in the context of eternity. In the beginning, when, when God created, it's just God. There's no one else. It's only God. And so if Jesus is in the beginning, that's a clue that Jesus is a little different than just any regular person. You might say, well, how do we know he's, John's talking about Jesus? John says, in the beginning was the Word. So the next question that we have to understand is what is the word? What's, what's John talking about? In the beginning? Okay, that kind of takes us to God and creation. Was the word. What is the word? Now the word, from a Hebrew perspective, from a Jewish perspective, was the power of God. The power of God to create, the power of God 
to save his word came with it power. And so when you read in, in Genesis, if you would go there, if you have a Bible, you see this over and over again as God creates, verse, uh, verse 3 of Genesis 1. And God said, verse 6, and God said, verse 9, and God said, verse 11, and God said, verse 14, and God said, verse 20, and God said, verse 24, and God said, verse 26, then God said, over and over, God is creating the universe through his word. And so it would have been immediately evident that that John is talking about a word that is powerful, a word that has creative ability. Even in the Greek mind, the Greeks would have understood the word as something that brought order. It was more impersonal, but it was still connected to the origins of things. And so clearly, John is saying something about the word that is different than just a mere human being he's talking about something that begins to reach into divinity the third clue as we go forward John writes this he was in the beginning with God so uh, he is referring to the word so he the word is personal okay So the word's a person. He was in the beginning with God. And then verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The word creates. That's what it's saying. The word has created everything. And he says it positively. The word has created everything. And, 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 and of everything that has been created, nothing was created that outside of the Word or outside of this person who is the Word. Now, who is the Word? And this is what got me when I was 18 years old. If we go forward, just a handful of verses to verse 14. And the Word became flesh. And that makes it crystal clear. John is clearly talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word who existed in the beginning with God. Jesus is the Word who was God and is God. Jesus is equating, or John is equating Jesus with God. He's eternal. He's created everything. And that's, it's an amazing thing to think about that for a second, that he created all things. What, is, what does all things mean? It means all things. It means anything you can look at, all matter. We looked at that video, the entire universe, verse, everything you can see, Jesus created it. And you can even go back to Genesis and read the Genesis account and substitute God for Jesus, and it's Jesus creating And, and we start to get at this idea of something that uh, theologians call the Trinity. Because we see it in here. It doesn't, we don't ever see the word Trinity in our Bibles, but we see this allusion to it because there's these things that we can't fully explain. It says that, that the word was with God, so there's a distinctness, right? But the word was also God, and so there's a sameness. 
And so there's this idea that God is one, and yet God is also distinctly uh, or distinct in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I don't have time to unpack the fullness of the Trinity, but, but something that's helped me to understand uh, the different roles of the Trinity is to see God the Father as the one who plans, God the Son as the one who performs, and God the Holy Spirit as the one who empowers. And you kind of see that throughout Scripture. God, God the Father plans. He says, I'm going to send my Son God the Son performs, he, he actually lays down his life and, and the Holy Spirit empowers the ministry. You see the dove coming upon Jesus and anointing Jesus, empowering him for ministry. So that's the, the, this one God expressed three persons and, and we're meeting two of those persons right here. God, uh, the word was with God and the word was God. It's an expression of the unity of God. And by the way, that's, that also, I think, explains Genesis when, it, when, when uh, God says, let us make man in our image. It's a plural reference. That's just an aside. Jesus is God. And he's created all things. That's the third clue. The, the fourth clue is that he possesses life. Verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Now, when it says in him is life, it's not saying that he's alive. Like, that, that would be rather obvious. What he's saying is, when he's saying in him is life, he's referring to the totality of life is in him. Jesus possesses life. Or another way to say it is Jesus is the source of life. And it makes sense, right? If Jesus is creator, then he would be the source of life. So to call Jesus the source of life is also to call him God. Jesus is God. He has existed in eternity. He's created all things. He possesses life. He's called God. Now, so what? What do we do with that? If Jesus is God, what, what, what tangible difference does that make in our lives? The first is that if you want to know God, you must know Jesus. If you want to know God, you must know Jesus. And I think this speaks to the exclusivity that some people talk about when they talk about Christianity. Christianity is exclusive. Christianity is narrow-minded. Christianity is just all about Jesus. And it's true. <laughs> Christianity is all about Jesus, and it is exclusive. Jesus is the only way, but Jesus is the only way because Jesus is God. In other words, it's saying, like, the only way to God is through God. If Jesus wasn't God, then there probably would be multiple ways, but what, Christi what John is saying, what, what all of the Bible is saying, that Jesus is God himself, and that to know God, you must know Jesus. And that if you reject Jesus, you reject God. But if you accept Jesus, if you receive Jesus, you receive God. If you want to know God, you must know Jesus. Secondly, if you want to know yourself, you must know Jesus. If you want to know yourself, you must know Jesus. Why? Because Jesus created you. Jesus created us. 
The Creator knows His creation better than anyone else. Better than creation itself. Imagine you, you have, like all of us, a lot of us have cars or, or cell phones, right? And we, we use them, we function with them, we, we know some things about them, but we don't know everything about it. We don't, I don't know all the features of my phone. Sometimes things go haywire and I don't know what's going on. And we need someone who designed the software or someone knows a lot about it to help us with it. The person who designed us knows the most about us. I remember I used to work um, at Disney in their engineering organization. And uh, there is this uh, OG veteran software engineer with like multiple uh, patents on his wall, uh, awards, trophies. And he had the arrogance to, 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 to uh, go with it. And then there was this younger engineer... Uh, probably younger than me, probably in his 20s. And, and they were having this like heated conversation going back and forth about the, the definition of this ID that was used prevalently in, in their software. And they were just going back and forth and tense and heated. And finally, the younger guy says to the, to the older guy, Adam, he says, how can you be so confident it means this? And then Adam kind of sits there for a while and he says, because I built the bleeping thing. And, and I was watching this whole thing unfold. It was just like mic drop right there. Boom. Argument over. And I went to Adam. I said, Adam, why didn't you start with that? He said, it was more fun that way. Jesus is our engineer. He designed us. And I think a lot of times we're like that young engineer who wants to fight back with Jesus. No, our purpose is this. We're designed this way. I'm supposed to function this way. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You work this way. And we're like, no, nah, no, nah, I think I work this way. I'm designed for this. And Jesus is like, I created you. I think I know. If we want to know ourselves, we need to know Jesus. We need to know our Creator. And as we meet Jesus, it's important to know that he's God, not, not just kind of, sort of, but 100%. But not only that, it's important to know that Jesus is man. Not just kind of, sort of, but 100% man. And that's my second main point. Jesus is man. And there's three, three things I want to highlight in, in relation to this point. He came in three ways. And the first is he came as our flesh. Jesus came as our flesh. Uh, look, look with me at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now, I think this is the single, the single most amazing truth in, in all of Scripture, that, that Jesus became flesh. God, who lived, who has lived eternally, becomes his creation. And it's almost like there's no analogy that does full justice to what happened 
when Jesus came as a man. We have stories where a king or a prince like chooses to dress up like a commoner, uh, maybe because they, they want to find a wife who, who loves them for their substance and not their title, or maybe because they just want to really experience firsthand what regular people go through. A, a modern uh, iteration of that story uh, is uh, from the reality TV show called Undercover Boss. And, and the, the premise is the, the CEO of a company uh, chooses to go undercover. So he wears like, a, he or she wears a disguise and they put on like normal clothing for their employees. And they go in and invariably they see, oh man, there's people in my company who are really struggling with X, Y, or Z. But because he's the CEO or because she's the CEO, they have the power to actually make changes in their life. And so there's always this happy ending where there's this reveal and it's like, ha ha, I'm the boss and, and here's some money or here's some changes I'm going to make. And it's a kind of a cool story. And in a sense, Jesus is kind of like an upper, undercover boss. He's the, the God, the king of the universe. And he comes in to uh, his company, so to speak, and he, he enters into our struggles. And because he's God, he's actually able to help us with our struggles. But then somewhere the, the analogy falls short. Because in Undercover Boss, the, the TV show, he takes off the disguise and he puts it all away and he goes back to his corner office and looks out and he, he, never, he never stays with the people. She never stays with the people. But the amazing thing that Jesus did is he took on flesh and he never took it off. He keeps it on. He, he is crucified. He is risen. And when he, when he was raised, he comes back and he says, touch my wrist, touch my hand. He eats. He retains flesh. And when he goes back to heaven, and when he comes back, when he promises to come back, he's coming back in the flesh. He doesn't take off the disguise. He remains with us. He remains in our flesh. And that is incredible. And the significance of that is it demonstrates the investment of God in his creation. Like if there's any doubt that God loves us, if there's any doubt that God cares about us, if there's any doubt that God wants our well-being, we only need to look to Jesus because he came and he entered into our skin. He walked in our shoes and he's demonstrated his love for us in that way. And he doesn't take it off. He stays in it. And so we get this unique picture of Jesus as God, but Jesus also as man. We have God who is all-powerful, almighty, and transcendent, but we also have a God who is personal and intimate and with us. That's who Jesus is. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we worship. I remember one day I was walking. I like to go for walks, particularly when the weather is better. I was walking somewhere in the neighborhood in, in Renton and, and going up the hill, and I, and I like to just meditate and think about God by looking at the sky and looking at the mountains and, and feeling the sun and just 
just like, you know, the people who, who uh, the, the video we saw, just looking at the vastness of the universe and just being amazed by how good God is, by how powerful he is, by how almighty God is. And I remember in that moment, I don't think it was a vision, but I do think it was the Lord speaking to me. I, 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 I asked myself, what would it look like if Jesus was here today? And, and I was just, you know, just walking in jeans and a t-shirt. And I was thinking, you know what? Jesus would be walking in jeans and a t-shirt. And he would be here with me. And that just blew my mind. That I think sometimes we think of God as so transcendent that we, 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 don't, we can't access him. And what Jesus does is he makes God accessible. That God, you can see him as in jeans and t-shirts, as shorts and flip-flops walking with you. Because that's what he does. That's what it means when he comes as flesh. He doesn't lose his godness. He's still God. He's still transcendent. But he's also personal. And he walks with us. And he's intimate with us. And he cares about us. And, and I want for us to see Jesus like that. And, and that's, I believe that's what John wants us to see Jesus as. That's why I call this series, Meet Jesus. And I think back to the time when I was 18 where I met Jesus in a new way. Where I saw him in a new light. I hope that for us, that Jesus in a new light. I hope that there's people who come who don't know Jesus who get to meet Jesus for the first time. And I hope there's people who know Jesus who get to meet Jesus in a new way. That's my heart. I want for us to see and to know Jesus, not just as God, but as man who cares for us. Now, he he came as flesh. Jesus also came as light. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Now, one of the... Darkness is a theme that you see over and over again in the Bible, in Scripture. And darkness uh, is meant to be this idea of uh, danger. That's what it signifies, danger or judgment. And darkness is an interesting concept because scientifically it's just, it's not really a thing. It's just the absence of light. If you remove light, you have darkness. And despite darkness being nothing, it's dangerous. Let me uh, give you an example, and, and, I'll, and I'll just caveat this. Um, this is a description of something I did not a prescription of what you should do, okay? Don't do this at home. Uh, I don't know if you've ever taken a road trip, um, like out of the city, out in the boonies, and there's less light outside the city. And uh, I remember I took a road trip, and it was, I, I ended up driving at night for, for a while, and I thought to myself, there's, there's no street lights, it's really dark out here. I said, what would happen if I turned my headlights off? And I eye roll from, from Stephanie. I love it. Um, and, I, and I didn't think it would be that big a deal because I've, you know, accidentally driven in the city without my headlights on, and the worst, you get someone who flashes their lights at you, but you can still see. I thought, oh, it looks a little darker. Let me try it. And so I, 
I turn off the headlights. I don't know where I was, somewhere in the middle of Washington, and it was just like pitch black. And I'm moving. <laughs> and 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 there and I and you know there's 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 stuff out there. There's obstacles. So I'm moving at a high speed in pitch black with obstacles around me. And I was terrified. Like that is, if that's not the definition of foolishness, I don't know what is. That didn't last very long before I flipped back on my headlights. But that, that feeling, if you can imagine it, if, if, if you've done that before. Um, by the way, amusement parks utilize that thrill, right? Like if you go to Disneyland and ride Space Mountain or whatever, like there's a thrill that comes with it. It's dark, and you're going here, there, and everywhere, but you, you know you're safe because you're on rails, and you've got restraints, apparatus. But if you do that out in the open road, that, that's scary, right? You don't want to do that. But that feeling is darkness. It's dangerous to navigate life in the dark. We need light. It's, it's light that helps us to see, to be able to avoid danger, to be able to know where we're going. And that's what Jesus came to do. He says, Jesus came to bring light. And the darkness has not overcome it. The reality is that life can be a dark place. Life has with it a lot of darkness. Sometimes darkness comes in the form of big decisions or just little decisions we have to make every day. Big decisions that we have to make. We don't have clarity as to what Uh, Which path is the best for us? Which relationship is the best for us? Which job is the best for us? We need clarity on big decisions that we're making in life. Sometimes darkness comes in the form of struggles, health struggles. Maybe it's mental illness or depression, anxiety. Maybe it's interpersonal relationships, frustrations that you're going through with other people. Maybe it's health-related, ailments that, that are scary, that you don't know what's going to happen with you. There, there are all these situations that happen in life that, that you could boil up to and call it darkness. Because there's confusion, there's lack of clarity, we don't know how the end will be. And Jesus has come as our Savior to bring light into our darkness. And the Word says the darkness has not overcome it, which is an interesting picture because what happens in any dark room when you shine light, what happens? The darkness goes away. Jesus is that supernatural light. When He shines, the darkness does not win. So what do we do with that truth? Most of us would admit that there's areas in in life where we could use some light. And I think the problem with what we do is sometimes we try to create our own light to fix our problems. Jesus offers us this light. And we say, no, I'm good. I, I I got a light on my iPhone. I'm cool. No, I'm good. Trust me. No, it's just the battery a little bit. Uh, we, we try to 
we try to navigate life with our own devices. Like, that's the problem. Jesus is saying, I'm shining a floodlight that will light up the universe, and you're trying to navigate life with your iPhone flashlight. The big problem is we don't naturally want to submit to God's light. We try to create and concoct our own wisdom, our own lights to navigate our life, and we inevitably fail, and we stumble, and by God's grace, that's meant to point us back to Jesus. It says Jesus came while we were enemies. Jesus died for us while we were sinners. He doesn't wait for us to fix ourselves. He said, I'm going to come, I'm going to show you, and I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to keep pointing you back to myself because I'm the true light that will help you overcome the darkness. And what he does in bringing that light, he brings life. That's his ultimate purpose, is to shine light so that we would receive life. Let me read in in verse uh, 10 through 13. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The biggest problem of darkness to solve is acceptance by God. Jesus comes to bring light. Jesus comes to be our family. And that's the, that's the big point of what he's doing. He, it says that he's given the right to become children of God. That's the sense in which he's adopting us into his family. And the important thing to see is the the ways or the means that God does this. If you look at verse 13, he says, who were born into his family, okay, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. In other words, it doesn't, it's not your lineage. It's not born of blood. It's not your, it's not who you were born to, who your parents were, who your grandparents were, who your friends are. It's not about your place or your station in life. That's not what saves us. He says, uh, nor of the will of flesh. It's not, it's not about how hard you work to gain your acceptance with God. It's not about straightening up your life or getting right. I mean, that's something that I hear so often uh, people who sometimes have come into here and said, you know, I've been, I've been gone from the church so long, but I've been trying to get my, right, my life right so I can come back here. Like, you've got it backwards. You've got it, you've got it flipped. He says, nor, nor the will of man. It's, no one else is going to solve your problem. You're not depending on your parents. You're not depending on your friends. You're not depending on a politician to save you. Because we're born of God. Jesus is our Savior. And the gospel is that we don't need to work to earn our acceptance with God. That Jesus has done the work 
perfectly. John wants us to believe that Jesus is our Savior and that by believing in his name, we would have life. That's, if you want to call it a work, that's the only work. Believing in his name. Now, what does that mean, believing in his name? Trust. It's not mere intellectual acceptance. It's not just thinking it's true. It's trusting he is and leaning on him. Like Zoe just had her driving test. Fantastic. Congratulations. Now, it's one thing for John to believe that Zoe's ready to drive. It's another thing for John to step into the passenger seat and trust that she will get him to his destination safely. Trust Trust demands action. Trust demands that you put your money where your mouth is. And so what does that look like? When we have our decisions, when we have our our struggles, when we have whatever it is we're going through life, what does it look like to place our trust in Jesus? It's to submit our lives to his authority. At the end of the day, it's called obedience. We don't like that word, but that's what it is. It means getting to know who Jesus is. It means understanding what he taught us. And we're going to learn more about what Jesus has taught us through his life. It means listening and then going, okay, you know what? Even though I think I'm designed to do this, I'm going to trust you and believe that you know what's best. And growing step by step, day by day, walking in faith and just trusting. And, and at some point, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you can start to look back in your own life and see how God has faithfully answered you in those times where you follow God. You say, you know what? I don't want to, but I am. And then after the fact, you're like, you know what? If I went that other way, that would have been a huge mistake. God does that. And, and by God's grace, we get to meet Jesus in his godhood and in his humanity and we're going to read story after story that continue to reveal just who jesus is why so that we would believe and trust in him for our lives not just our future life but our lives here and today and the decisions that we make day after day after day would you pray with me Father, I I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithful apostle who wrote this for us to give us a witness of the things that your son said, the things that your son did for us. Father, I I know that there's nothing I can do to convince people of your truth. But I know, Lord, that your word is powerful and it accomplishes its purpose. And so, Father, I pray that your word would go forth, that your word would convict the hearts of those here in this room of your reality, of your truth, of your sovereignty, of your lordship, 
of your love for us. Lord, would you help us to walk in your light? Would you illuminate our path? In Jesus' name, amen.